Episode 5 of This Is Not A Rebuild. We are a Cubs podcast, but we don't promise to always stay on the Cubs because that can be depressing. In the meantime, (laughs) we're here to chat. There are four of us. My name is Matthew Trueblood. I'm here with my friend since high school, DJ Fox. Say hey, Deej. Hey there. And I'm here with my dad, Todd Trueblood. Hey, Deej. And his friend since high school, kind of, Tom Nurse. Hey, DJ, and everyone else. <laughs> hey there, sir. Keep doing this. This is not a rebuild podcast until it's really not a rebuild anymore, and hopefully beyond that. But for now, all we can do is hope. How you doing, guys? What's it looking like this week? I received absolutely no correspondence from anyone saying, please stop doing this. So I think that's a good sign. No cease and desist. Huh? No, no. Okay. I have also oh. not been offered any record of my home for uh, bologna sandwiches, though. So yeah. Mm, that's true. My son wanted to stay up and be a live audience for this recording. So <laughs> we are actually cracking into a certain market um i think it's a market we'd already penetrated our own families but <laughs> i have yet I to know. penetrate that market actually but i'm working on it i'm willing to bet that neither of my daughters have listened to this that may be true well one never knows uh there was finally some news this week not big earth-shattering news or anything but we have stuff to talk about and free agency is underway and now an unfettered way Wilson Contreras officially has no official ties of any kind left to the Chicago Cubs organization so emotional even that I mean oh really I mean I who who can speak to the emotional ties Wilson Contreras feels I suppose but they seem to have loosened and and fallen away a while ago i think he he didn't say anything about it right other than like no news okay he didn't say i'm cutting my emotional ties with the chicago cubs (laughs) (laughs) no i mean he didn't come out with a statement about like thank you to the cubs um sorry that i'm declining it would have been weird if he did i just wanted to check in make sure yeah no uh free agents have gotten pretty good at shutting up at this time of year you don't do any (laughs) favors to yourself by closing doors on anything but uh the rumor today like the newest thing of any substance that came out was today there were reports that the cubs have been in touch with christian vasquez the erstwhile red sox and then here at the end of this season astros catcher and omar narvaez who went from the white Sox to the mariners to the brewers over the last several years and I think the fact that the Cubs have actively reached out to those two tells you everything you need to know if you still needed to know anything 
about whether they're seriously considering bringing Wilson back. Those two are right at really the top of the range of free agent catchers that I think they'll be looking at this year. And I'm encouraged that they've started talking to him because those are kind of the complimentary signings. Obviously we're waiting for the big stuff this winter. There's got to be at least two big things, Uh, but signing a decent catcher who can do some things on offense and some things on defense and push Jan Gomes into the, a little more than a true backup role that he belongs in is an important step for them this winter. Does it seem like the catcher position is even thinner than it usually is? And I'm not just talking about free agency. I'm talking about in general, or is that my imagination? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's your imagination. I also, I wonder if we're starting to have a really hard time calibrating uh, on some level, because I feel the exact same way about the third base market and the center field market. And that, that can't, that just can't be true because <laughs> there are so many talented players and the league hasn't expanded now in 25 years. Wow. And our problem, if anything, is that talent is suffusing the league in a way that, you know, rosters can't really hold, but we've clearly crossed some, some threshold where, that's so true that guys who we would have thought were really good 10 years ago now seem bad just because there's the, maybe the replacement level has risen way too high or something. I'm not sure. I just don't think that's what's happening with this catching or catcher market. I really struggle with this one. We, you, you've grown this guy to be a top 10, hope probably better catcher in the league. There's nobody out there as far as free agents talk ourselves into being excited about Christian Vasquez. Uh, I can't. I've never heard of him. He's not Wilson Contreras. He's, I mean, the rest of these 30-plus-year-old free agent catchers, uh, I'm not getting anywhere even close to excited about. And it's just frustrating to me that we would let this guy walk when, kind of like Tom said, there's – there's nobody out there, and I mean, are we going into this with and Jan Gomes? I really hope not. Well, if we are, then then this is a rebuild, um, and it's not a good one. I just don't get it. <laughs> well, the reason why they're cutting ties with Wilson, we've talked about. I think this was our first episode we talked yeah. about this. Is the same reason at least unique to the catcher position, not including third and center, that it kind of feels like the position is sagging right now, which is that all the teams in the league, including the Cubs, and now maybe especially the Cubs, are selecting catchers for everything but their offense. And that's what Wilson excels at. And it's and not even everything but their offense, but not their offense or their throwing arm. <laughs> which used to be pretty much all catchers were selected, <laughs> yeah. really. Um, now it is all about how do you handle pitching staffs? How much do you help with the game planning? How well do you frame pitches? And that stuff is not really – I mean, we've talked about Wilson's weaknesses there. Um, some are real and some are perceived or some are 
real but exaggerated but it's not not real and it is that's why he's now out there that's why people aren't sure of his market that's why there are rumors that teams are interested in Wilson as an outfielder which certainly wasn't going to be a fit with the Cubs wait Uh, what yeah (laughs) yeah man there are there are uh, multiple teams who use him <laughs> as a left fielder. Well, I, what's what, what's wrong with that? I mean, he's he's a hitter. Uh, he's got a he's decent arm, and he's that's he's going to extend his his lifespan and <laughs> by getting off his knees a little bit. Yeah, well, and I th- I think too, what he does do well on an intangible level because you you know. He he is going to want to sign with someone who trusts him and respects him as a clubhouse presence, too. And I don't think the Cubs are necessarily down on his clubhouse presence. They're down on the actual logistics of him as a catcher. I think if he pivots to being a left fielder slash DH like Kyle Schwarber, He's got a lot of the same clubhouse traits that Kyle Schwarber has. He's the rah-rah guy. People love him, and he loves them, and he will go to war for you, and he makes you want to go to war for him. All that is great. It's just not what teams are selecting catchers for anymore. Mm-hmm. I, but who plays catcher then? I mean, that's – yeah, well, that's the thing, I mean, right? Like, I mean, I'm and I'm looking at a lot of teams here. Uh, do we just do we just not care about getting any offensive production out of catchers anymore because everyone has DH? What what's happening here? And, and I don't get the uh, the focus on game planning and game management. Um, there should be people in the dugout that are doing that. Uh, right. or, I mean, it, there's just so much of other things going on during a game that. Um, to actually manage the entire game from the catching position is uh, seems uh, like asking too much. And won't the skill of pitch framing seem quaint uh, years <laughs> from now when we have electronic yeah. scoring of pitches? It, it'll be like, that was a skill, being able to move your glove and <laughs> catch the ball. So yeah. it looks more like a strike. But it is a skill now. It's a legitimate skill now. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it was a fun one. What five, ten years ago, when everybody, when people started talking about it, it's like, well, that's a that's a cool thing to kind of you know gain an edge. Hey, I can but, do that. Right. I just can't do anything else on the baseball diamond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't hit, and nobody likes me. And terrible clubhouse guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like. I'm not- it, it, it could be kind of like you know back in back in the day, right? When guys were kind of admired for pretending to tag guys all the time and getting the call, um, and then I've, that's gone away with replay. I miss the phantom double play. It used to be something you get really worked up about. It was nowhere near second base. They still in the neighborhood. Yeah. In the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the meta question of how big a neighborhood really is. Um, although, you know, and not to drag it back to 
all the old baseball I've been watching. But man, guys used to go into second base so hard. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. needed the neighborhood play, or or ligaments were going to be snapping left and right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, and that's then you true. were patted on the back if you actually hurt somebody. <laughs> and you you think of that as like a seventies thing, like Pete Rose and Willie Randolph were doing this. Yeah. Brian McRae in 1996, I watched him like not even start sliding until his cleats had almost reached second base and just just like barrel roll through a guy, you know, uh, it, it was a very different game. I'm not. I'm glad that people aren't getting hurt as often anymore. I'm not sure that I don't miss it. The physicality of baseball that is just. That part has been not just that part, but sort of all the parts where baseball used to be a game of physicality or intimidation or a sort of a fight without being an actual fight is is being plucked out of the game bit by bit. I actually I can say that I miss it, and but I, I don't know why uh, it seems like I shouldn't. Because I miss stupid things like, like you said, you know, take, especially if it's a Cardinal uh, second baseman and you're going to take out his knee. Well, that's a great thing. <laughs> um, but uh, I also miss, you know, the guys that uh, would win 26 games and have 32 complete games. Uh, you know, just stuff that they really, you know, was, I don't know why they would ever have anything remotely like that. Just beating people to death. But I miss that. I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's some of the uh, some of the thrill of sport is supposed to be the the hunger and kind of the the stakes being high for the guys who are actually out there, in addition to being high for the fans um, and for the owners who might make an extra billion or not. Um, and I I wonder if some of that sense that the stakes are just as high for the players has been eroded because everyone's getting paid a lot of money and there's not as much of a, a sense of I eat or you eat, you know, um, I don't, I don't mean to sound grouchy about it. Cause I, I, again, I think the game is great. I just, uh, Bob Gibson and not just because Bob Gibson would complete every start, but also because when you – I read a lot of what Bob Gibson wrote, and he wrote multiple books and and really added to the literature of baseball after he retired. He was not – you know, he was thought of as a headhunter. You know, people were scared of Bob Gibson. Mm-hmm. And he said, I was never going out there either to actually hurt someone or even really to scare someone. What I wanted to do was not be bullied by the hitter, oh. was to still have my right because I was going to work away, away, away. But if you were going to dive over the plate, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. So I had to claim that inside part. And it was a negotiation. It was a back and forth. It was a, yeah, there was intimidation in it. Yet there was a, an element of fear that you had to play off of. But it wasn't because you had any actual mean-spiritedness and you it was just about this sort of high wire act and you both you the pitcher and the batter both entered that confrontation knowing that they were risking something and so it wasn't 
neither one saw it as dirty when the other one did what they needed to do. You know, now if you come inside on a guy too many times, I mean, love him. I love him. But Wilson was so touchy about people coming inside on him. Yeah. Right. And they were coming inside on him because he can't hit the inside pitch at all. <laughs> like, That's probably know. why it was touchy. Yeah, you guys aren't but, supposed to know that, damn it. And so, well, and maybe that was maybe that was his way of playing the head game too. Maybe he just wanted to, if by barking enough and you know gesturing <laughs> and you know he could kind of scare you out of coming inside on him, then he was winning the game that way. But that's not the vibe I ever got. Um, I don't know. We went off the rails there, but wait, so there are rails. I don't. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think we're on rails, so. We're in the neighborhood. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the Cubs are talking to catchers. They're talking to shortstops. None of the big stuff has been done yet, but they're starting to chip away. Uh, Jason Hayward is officially off the roster. They've added a few prospects to the roster to shield them from the Rule 5 draft. We are getting to the point where the off season's going to accelerate in a hurry. It's just, a, it's hard to say exactly when it's going to happen. Uh, probably earlier than it has in the past because the deadlines that sort of spark off season action have all come earlier. And this Friday is another one when teams have to decide whether to non-tender people or not, uh, people who are eligible for arbitration. Although some guys who aren't even eligible for arbitration yet can also end up being non-tender candidates the Cubs have 38 guys on their 40 man roster right now. They're going to have to sign more than two free agents between now and opening day. I, I hope that's not a secret to anyone. So they might use the non-tender deadline as a chance to get a guy like Zach McKinstry now off the roster because the guy that they traded for from Tampa Bay, just uh, what it was it Tuesday, yesterday, um, is a better hitting, more position playing player. Exactly. He's, he's basically a slightly more athletic Zach McKinstry um, who can be optioned to the minors and McKinstry can't. So you might see even guys like McKinstry who will make the league here isn't eligible for arbitration. They wouldn't be cutting him to save money. They might need to cut him just to create a roster spot. So all that churn is still happening and that's hmm. eventually going to start spurring the action that everybody really enjoys following the off season for the big free agent signings, the more meaningful trades, the Cubs might look to solve catcher through the trade market with a guy like Sean Murphy from the A's. Although every team in baseball wants Sean Murphy from the A's, every team except the A's really <laughs> wants Sean Murphy. Uh, so we'll see what mm, happens, but I wonder if the A's knows something that we don't. The A's know that the A's suck. Um, <laughs> and the A's, have two very good catching prospects behind Sean Murphy. And that's why they would trade Sean Murphy. Not because he's not really good because he is. Um, but again, he's, he's probably going to get traded. Uh, it's a stretch to assume it would be to the Cubs just because we'd all like to see it be to the Cubs. Would the Dodgers non-tender Cody Bellinger? That's, I saw a piece about that. Is that how real is that? Very, <laughs> very. Gosh, the, the thing about winning the MVP 
in your uh, third season, third full season, is that uh, if you then immediately suck, at least at the plate, you end up in this situation where even though Bellinger's still a very good defensive center fielder with athleticism and therefore upside even at the plate, uh, <laughs> the Dodgers are stuck paying him coming off these, you know, plat- a platform of salary that was set by him having won the MVP right before going to arbitration for the first time. So they can't, without non-tendering him, they can't pay him less than like nine something million next year. And, and I think it's higher than that. And so it's likely he'll be non-tendered one way or the other. Or if someone wants to go out and make the, make the trade so that they don't have to compete for him on free agent market, like the Cubs could in theory go to the Dodgers in the next 48 hours and say, we don't want, you to non-tender Cody Bellinger and us to have to fight with other teams to try and sign him as a non-tender guy. Uh, we'd rather make the trade and pay what's going to be five or $6 million more than his open market value just to have him locked in and not have to negotiate, you know, and outbid other teams. Um, that's the phase he's at. And it'd be a really interesting solution to their, hole in center because he is a left-handed hitter and a good defender. Um, but at this point, it's, it's hard to decide, you know, can, can we even dream on him recovering offensively or not? And I think the Cubs would have to believe they'd have to think there's something they can do to unlock him at the plate in order to, at least to make that kind of trade. If he's a free agent, then you at least make a call on him. But then a lot of teams are going to be making a call. That'd be a pretty solid outfield for us. Because we had like some Scottish guy in left field that won a gold glove, didn't we? Yeah. Well, so I I feel awful. I am am a bad, bad friend. We needed to lead this with a a mental health and a wellness check on you, Deej. Did you see the rumors today about the Cubs might be pondering a trade of Ian Happ after all? Are you for real? No, I, I, I had a... Oh, I'm glad I had so many meetings today at work because I, I can't I can't go there right now. I need to let someone talk. There might be someone an on-the-air on breakdown. <laughs> I, I'm trying to understand if you three are actually talking yourselves into <laughs> someone who very kindly said was a left-handed hitter when you could make the argument the last three years, he was more of just a left-handed batter. Um, this guy has not done anything in, in three years offensively other than just strike out more and just not hit enough homers to warrant that. I mean, Patrick wisdom is a, a much better hitter right now and it's not even close. Uh, obviously he doesn't play center uh, and he's not a lefty, but I, if you're arguing strikeouts, at least Wisdom is doing something productive. <laughs> the times when he does make contact, I, I, we cannot not get excited to maybe get Ballinger. We, I, we got to higher than this guy, so otherwise we are rebuilding still. Maybe I'm just a downer tonight. 
Bellinger played. I, I'm surprised. I'm looking at his stats. He played nearly a full season this year. He got 550 plate appearances. I thought he would be riding the pines a little bit more than that. And he did stink. His ops plus was 78 down yeah. from 167 three years earlier. Mm-hmm. Ouch. But up from 44 in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't hear him in the gold glove running. Right? So. Well, um, is he a gold glover? No. Although I, I'm not going to redo my gold glove rant. Uh, he is, he's a very good center fielder. His glove is what kept him in the lineup this year, along with some vagaries of the Dodgers roster. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, I think you have to assume he's functionally broken and that getting him would be roughly the same thing as signing Kevin Kiermaier, who's a free agent. Uh, Kiermaier is several years older but it's the mm-hmm. same profile, a left-handed hitter, although not much of a hitter, a very good defensive center fielder. And you platoon him with Christopher Morrell. What'd you say? And the good guy. Yeah. I mean, uh, presumably <laughs> Kevin Kiermeyer. Now he's got ties. His, is it his brother who is like the assistant groundskeeper or something at Wrigley? That's right. That story (laughs) came out a few years ago. Yeah. Parkland Junior College alum, Kevin Kiermeyer. Really? (laughs) That's that's a real thing. (laughs) Um, So either one of those, I'm fine with it. And you just have to realize what it is. It's a platoon with Morrell waiting for Brennan Davis, or if he really makes a fast charge this year, Pete Crow Armstrong, to just come up and take over that position and, and shove those guys aside. Um, Bellinger wouldn't, you wouldn't acquire Bellinger and move Hap for the same, you know, as part of the same move or something they were talking about, and it's not anything concrete yet. I don't want to terrify you, (laughs) but the, the rumor that floated around after the blue Jays traded uh, their corner Right. They traded Teoscar Hernandez, who's a right-handed hitting corner outfielder, to Seattle. The talk was that their next step will be what people have been expecting them to do all along this winter, which is trade one of their catchers. They've got a glut back there. And people were connecting some dots, and there was some there were some sources who who confirmed it and said the Cubs and Blue Jays at least do match up, have had the conversation, talked at the deadline a bit about what a Ian Hap for one of their catchers deal would start to look like. Uh, <laughs> you okay, Deej? I like their catchers. I'm I'm actually fine with that. I I I don't know how that makes us a better team. Uh, yeah, it would much. have to be paired with. Uh, I was going back and forth with Tommy Myers, who's a full-fledged member of Cubs Twitter. And uh, I was talking to him today about it, and he compared it, I think, aptly to the Starling Castro-Ben Zobrist move that they made between 2015 and 2016, where before they brought in Zobrist, 
or before they traded Castro, they needed to know that they had Zobrist in hand. If you're going to trade Hap, it would be because you're signing Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo or you have some other trade lined up for a left-handed slugging corner outfielder that you like. My thing is they're not in the same position they were in between 2015 and 2016. You know, that's, yeah. this isn't that team. They're not necessarily ready for that move. And I think Zobrist was a particularly perfect fit too. I don't necessarily see that same particularly perfect fit lurking out there, just requiring a nimble move to set it up. So I don't think this is happening. I don't think it should happen, but lately, lately since since i've been drawing breath (laughs) i and the chicago cubs front office don't necessarily see eye to eye on what's advisable so you know well Well, let's let's keep ian let's sign cody and as tom would say prove me wrong cody (laughs) (laughs) by all means cody prove prove us all wrong prove the dodgers wrong wouldn't that be nice for once (laughs) that would I, I won't I won't be mad if we, you know, sign Cody. It's just money. It's not my money, right? So bring him on. Um Lord right. knows he's probably better than some of the guys we got on the twenty five, so as long as signing him is not a way to mollify fans and yeah you know, point to an expenditure so they don't have to go splurge and, and yeah and get somebody Carlos Correa. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about their big splurge so far? Their non-rebuild, the build. Miles Mastrobuoni. <laughs> I, I still haven't learned how to pronounce it. So, uh, I think, I think what we said before is basically all there is to say. He is a a slight glow up from Zach McKinstry, a very slight one. Like he had a lot of success last year at triple a, but he was repeating the level at age 26 and uh, made a swing change that got him to some extra power that I don't know that he can carry over into the majors. Now that the major league ball is no longer made of rubber and cocaine. Um, So, you know, we'll see, but I think he's, he's a really good bench piece to have around probably makes it more likely that they part ways with McKinstry or Madrigal and certainly reinforces the fact that they'll be making a big name addition on the infield somewhere, but it doesn't move any particular needles in my opinion. You kind of undersold the, the uh, change in pop this year. I'm not sure how much Todd and Tom know about this guy uh, or if I know everything about this guy. Uh, if everything that there is to know is his name is Miles. Well, I knew exactly that much yesterday. Um, so this guy never had a season uh, more than five homers in all of professional baseball, including when he was a Rochester honker. Um, a lot of seasons, not even close to five. Last year at AAA in Durham, Guy hit 16 homers, batted 300, 377. I, I mean, he's 26, obviously. Ooh. Maybe a little aged out for a hitter in AAA, so he should be, he should be competing. Um, 
but it's interesting. It's at least slightly intriguing. I'm not going to get too super excited, but it's movement. It's yeah. something. Yeah, and you're right. I'm I'm probably being too dismissive. Um, for one thing, I have the best teams at this particular thing, hitter development. What the Cubs have not done well enough over the last half decade. The best teams, the Dodgers and the Rays, will find these guys who are in their mid, even moving toward late 20s, who have always had a really good hit tool, which this guy has. Really good hit tool, good command of the strike zone. Uh, never generated a lot of power, and then they just give them power. Uh, Max Muncy, uh, Randy Arozarena, you name it. They're, those are the most famous examples, but far from the only ones. That said, you know, uh, this guy is not built like Max Muncy or Randy Rosarena. Um, and he's probably, you know, he's, he's maybe a little closer to like a Chris Taylor, who's worked out well for the Dodgers. But um, it's, a, it's definitely a case where it's a great, you know, go by all means, take advantage of the Rays roster crunch. They needed to clear guys off their 40-man roster before the deadline on Tuesday. So the Cubs swooped in and got this guy that they like, and now you give him a shot. I, I have no problem with that, just like I really liked going and getting McKinstry at the trade deadline. It's just had the almost probably the exact same level of excitement for this guy that you had for McKinstry five months ago, and no more. Yeah. Notice, right? So Yeah. I can't say I had any. Um, <laughs> but – you know, I, mean, I don't have anything against him. I just, it's, I have that problem, you know, that I don't know who these people are until they actually do something for me, which uh, it's very self-centered. I understand. Fair though. Fair. And why really look, I want to see a lot more uh, proactive movement at the edges of the roster than we've seen the last few years, especially. And I like this move, and I hope we see a half dozen more like it. But the success or failure of this winter is going to hinge on do they sign probably a good starting pitcher and maybe a first baseman of some consequence or just a bat, even if it's a designated hitter, and do they get Carlos Correa or not? I mean, those are my criteria anyway. Does it have to be Correa, or is there a a suitable – uh, replacement depends who you ask. <laughs> I uh, asked you, didn't you hear me? I <laughs> for me, it's Korea or bust. Uh, it's that black and white. I don't, I was thinking about it while I was doing dishes earlier tonight when I was just becoming a baseball fan, the late 90s. There were four great young shortstops who broke in almost at the same time who were like very close to the same age. Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, uh, Edgar Renteria, Nomar Garcia-Para. These four, the four great shortstops who are on the market this winter, uh, Correa, Xander Bogarts, uh, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, they are not at that level because that level was once in the game's history and will never happen again, right? But they're... 
they're a decent kind of, you know, that's a decent template to draw on. And the way I would put it is this. Of those four, Renteria was the youngest. Correa's the youngest. Rodriguez was the most talented. Correa's the most talented. Jeter was the excellent leader. Correa's the excellent leader. Hmm. And Nomar was the most complete player if he could just stay healthy. And Correa's the most complete player if he can just stay healthy. It's You can shuffle the other three around in whatever order you want, but if anyone wants to make a serious argument that any of the other three are above Carlos Correa, I think they're out of their minds. And now add the fact that all three of the others would cost you a draft pick at a point where you're, yes, pivoting to contention, but still not ready to just shove aside the idea of collecting young talent. And Correa doesn't. I, hmm. It's Correa or you've done something wrong. And if he goes and signs for $360 million, then that's a separate thing. But he's not going to. And I think just about you know anywhere short of that i i posited like 9 years 333 million those are astronomical numbers i'd do it because he's going to get something close enough to it and i would just want to end the conversation get him in the building and build around him and stroman and horner and whomever you believe in in the farm system rather than risk having him walk over 10 or 15 million spread over seven or eight years and regret it for a long, long time. Cause you signed Dansby Swanson instead. And it turns out Dansby Swanson is not even Edgar Renteria. Okay. So, uh, well, that clears yeah, it up. Huh? Well, it does, but it makes me nervous because, uh, the cut, <laughs> I've always had trouble with believing that the Cubs would actually go out and do something like this. Uh, and I'm not so sure that it's still not the case. I mean, the, one of the reasons everybody was so excited, or at least I was so excited to, when the Cubs signed Dave Kingman back in the seventies was that they never did anything like that. It was like, Holy crap. They did that. Um, I don't know. Are they going to do it? Or they're just making noise and to make us feel like, hey, they're putting some effort into this. I like hate. the Packers of the trade deadline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except they didn't even make any noise, did they? <laughs> Every once in a while, they'll, they'll be, oh, well, they tried to get this receiver. And the Bears got yeah. him. That was awesome. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Or the Vikings got him or, yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh, I hope they're real. Um Yeah. I mean, I want to believe that in a post Alfonso Soriano, then John Lester, then Jason Hayward world, uh we don't have to disbelieve that they're capable of and going to seriously pursue that. But I do hate how much we've already heard uh, Jed Hoyer generally isn't going to want to go beyond six years at the most. So mm. they'll get creative. They'll push the average annual value high, but they're not going to match if somebody goes out to eight or nine years. And I'm like, 
you you just do. That's what you do. If, the, yeah. if that's what he wants. And if he doesn't, if he, you know, last winter he was a free agent. That's why he's not attached to draft pick compensation now. Last winter he was a free agent. The lockout threw 17 wrenches into the mix. I get that. But no long-term deal was coming together the way he was envisioning. So he signed a really creative deal that gave him an opt-out after each year of what could have been up to three years and $35 million every year. If he wants something weird and creative like that, throw it at him. But if what he wants is the Bryce Harper style, long-term commitment, I'll forego the opt-outs. I want this to be my team and this team to be mine. Then you just do it. Because again, out of these four shortstops and out of last year's class too, he's the best one. <laughs> he's the best at every bit of it. And I'm not saying he's going to the Hall of Fame, although you definitely can't rule it out yet. I am saying if you settle for anyone else, you're going to end up kicking yourself because free agency, I think what drives me nuts is that I feel like Jed Hoyer looks at free agency as a value proposition. And at this, at, at, a, at the lower levels, it absolutely is, even up into the middle tier shop for value when you are doing this when you are looking to add the anchor to your lineup and the face to your franchise it shouldn't be about value it should be about which guy do i trust which person like human being which baseball makeup which actual talent and documented production am i willing to bet on and there's only one guy that I want to make that gamble on, including, by the way, Aaron Judge or Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom or Carlos Rodon. None of those guys are anywhere close to half as good an investment as Carlos Correa. What's your beef with Judge? Is it is it age? Is it keeping him on the field? What what uh, what is he, 30? Yeah, 31. Oh. He'll, it'll be his age 31 season in 2023 and people his size yeah. don't age and i that was the end of the sentence they don't not age well they don't age um i, I think it's joe and did a he did, did a phenomenal list of like most home runs after age 31 for guys who are like six foot seven like the fourth person on the list is a pitcher. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you, yeah, it's not, it's, it's unprecedented. And we've already seen judge struggle with injuries. And I don't know that that part is probably irrelevant to our conversation anyway, just because I don't think the Cubs have a whole lot of interest in judge or at the level that he's going to cost, but I don't think judges, I think he just had his career year and it was timed great and let him get his money. I'm not begrudging him any of that. But if I were running a baseball team, I wouldn't be the one giving him that money. I'd take whatever he was given and I would shop it right to Carlos Correa. I mean, Correa's had some too, right? We can't just write that off. Yeah, absolutely. He has. And he's, he is big for a shortstop. Very tall. Yes. 
Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at him now. I'm not going to pretend that I know any of this, but yeah, he's six four, yeah. and he's twenty eight. I mean, he's yeah, he's know. not. I mean, he's not twenty six like Harper was when he hit free agency, which is why he's not going to sign a thirteen year deal like Harper. Um, but he's considerably younger than Judge, and the last three years he's been in the lineup basically every day or every day, save for planned rest and maintenance which is just part of the game now um i kind of think that he's found the right way to maintain his body and and play the game under enough control some of his injuries too you know whereas a guy like judge uh he had a back issue he had a knee issue these are things that are going to follow a guy who weighs 282 pounds into his mid-30s right correa broke his hand on a slide a few years ago like these are things i'm not that worried about that problem repeating itself so i think he's a pretty good health bet Uh, i might bet that one or two of the other shortstops are going to stay in the lineup more but they're not going to be as good when they're in the lineup they're not going to be as good for as long because they're already older all that stuff Well, I'm I'm game. Let's let's sign him. All right, Tom, you in? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I can chip in forty dollars. <laughs> uh, Shoot, I got sixty. Gosh, awesome. Well, if you add a hundred to that forty, that'll get you a seat in Wrigley Field. <laughs> there you go. Nosebleed, but it you'll be in the park. you'll be in the ballpark. Yeah, especially if we sign this guy. Ticket prices go up as soon as soon as the ink is dry. Well, they got a intersection or whatever it is, right? The sports yes, book. The sports book. Uh, the Ricketts—they know how to make money. <laughs> I suppose I can't even make a crack about them not knowing how to build a ball club because they did do it once, but I don't know. They they know how to make money and they know how to scream that they're poor. It's impressive, really. It's not that impressive. That's that's something that pretty much all uh, people who know how to make money have mastered. They, yeah, it's true. Maybe that's part of the equation. Yeah, pretty much every uh, I got MLB owner you know? out there. So if you're if you're Carlos Correa, I'm are not. You, but go ahead. Are you going into this next season after you know you? I could be wrong here, right? I'm pretty sure if the Astros offered him, you know, enough money in a big contract, he would have happily stayed there. Instead, uh, my understanding is they were betting on this young guy who turned out to be pretty good. Uh, and then they <laughs> yeah. won a, ser- a World Series with him, and he's the king of the show. Are you, if you're Carlos Correa now, you're, you know, you got to, right? You still want people to know, hey, I'm a guy. I'm the guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's that kind of dude anyway. He's not, uh, he's got no shortage of swagger, which doesn't mean it's, you know, arrogance. That's going to beget laziness or anything. He's just, he, he believes that he is the straw who can stir a drink. Not, he's not going to come in and stir everybody up just to do it. But whatever drink needs stirring, he can stir. Uh, so, 
yeah, I, I think it probably does add some fuel to his fire. I'm not even sure he needed that. I think just the fact that he went to Minnesota and it didn't work out there. He was already going to go in now with a chip on his shoulder. He's uh, yeah. I, when the sign stealing stuff came out in Houston, it was like one year later and the Astros like got to the ALCS and he's doing a post game interview going, what are people going to say now? And I was like, Carlos, they're going to say exactly the same things they were saying before. This doesn't actually change anything. But, yeah. he, you know, he, he'll carry whatever chip uh, gives him a little bit of extra uh, fuel. But he finds that he finds that whether it's even there or not. So, yeah, he's a stir stick, but not a pot. <laughs> he might be he might be a little bit of a pot stir, but not in a <laughs> bad way. Like, you know, it, that's got to happen too. Uh, every clubhouse needs a. I don't really believe in like the red ass that you got to have that guy who's agitating just to agitate, but you need someone who wants to keep liveliness in there. You know, like if losing's happening, then you need someone to stand up and say that it's not acceptable. And Correa has shown that he'll be that guy in multiple clubhouses now over the years. Now, will he, will he take some responsibility or, just blame everybody else. And I guess as a Packer fan, I've seen some things. So <laughs> I don't, I, you guys, you guys are going to get me to gush too much here, but it's just like, I just watched him for a full year in Minnesota coming into a clubhouse that didn't belong to him, you know, and that there was already a guy there and he was deferential to Byron Buxton. He was deferential to some of the veteran pitchers who had been around but also he immediately asserted himself the what had gone missing completely for the twins and sort of sucked the life right out of them in 2021 was there were no guys left in that clubhouse who wanted to sit down after the game with their post-game meal and talk about everything that had just happened in the game and how they were going to do better the next day and Correa just revived that he just and suddenly there was a circle around him right right next to the meal table after every game. Uh, he would come into the mound with ideas on how to pitch guys who were wearing out a particular starter. He, I mean, totally proactive, brilliant baseball mind, eager to help but not overbearing. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a situation in which I wouldn't trust him to – improve it um and so if they get a chance to sign him and they have the chance to sign him because he's a free agent uh they should seize it you talked us into it <laughs> yeah i don't think <laughs> you're preaching to the choir a little bit i know uh, and that's the that's the problem here is uh Tom allowed to do that not among our dozens of listeners but is he the final? Is he the decider? Uh, or is it? I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, again, I have uh, uh, reservations or, or I just can't believe that they're actually going to put effort into this. Um, so is this a money decision or baseball decision or? Well, and 
I mean, for for the for a week, they just kept talking about how we're gonna go sign this Jeff, and then now we're not even on the list of names. What if what if they did wait another year? You know, you got the Hayward money falling off after next year. Mm-hmm. You got all the young guys who let's see how many of these kids are real. You know, maybe a couple of them are. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we should, but I wonder if. I mean, what if that happened again? Would that make any kind of long-term sense? Or is it just time to pull the trigger? Is it time to start getting good fast? I would I say... Think... Oh, go ahead. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can really make that argument that that's okay because we're not, we're not dealing with luxury tax issues, right? So um, just waiting for that contract to fall off I, I, I see where you're coming from, Tom. Still still money out of the Ricketts' pockets this year, and they might want to wait one year and spread it out. But, gosh, we're trying to build a competitive team in a, in a big market, right? Well, we are. I mean, we want that to happen. <laughs> but uh, are they? I mean, <laughs> it's the same old problem that we had with, with, with the Trib, when the Tribune company owned it, and even back to the Wrigley's. It was, you know, it's a business. Uh, they didn't, especially the Wrigley's, did not give a crap about winning. Mm-hmm. It's just whether or not, you know, it made money and, you know, could keep the Wrigley Field uh, name on there so they had free advertising. Well, I so will I'm, say, I mean, their attendance this past year was the lowest since 1997. Wow. Uh, hmm. that, that's significant. And yeah. there are people who will tell you that that alone will drive them to spend quite a bit and and steer it back toward contention faster. Um, I'm not totally sold by just that argument, but I will also observe that you've only got one year left of control over HAP. Um, you're actually already down to two or three of uh, Horner. So you got to pull some triggers you've either got to trade Hap or extend him and talk about extending Horner and after this season Marcus Stroman has an opt-out before the final year of his deal so if you don't show him that you're interested in winning this year he's probably not going to be back in 2024 uh, Kyle Hendricks's money falls off after this year just like Hayward's but then so does Kyle Hendricks uh, and you're you're starting to then it becomes not just a rebuild, but a, you know, now you're in a, a true trough of a half decade or more of losing. And you're going to really see how low you can push the attendance at the most expensive ballpark in the league. Um, I think they have to make significant strides now. Now I do think they could convince themselves and Jed thinks like this sometimes that, we don't need Correa because maybe we're not quite ready for Correa and we've got these prospects that we like coming through. And so we'll sign a Bogarts or a Swanson and get a bit better this year and make them a complimentary piece to one guy who turns a corner and becomes a star next year. Meanwhile, we extend Horner and you know, it's 2024, 2025 that we really explode onto the scene. I find a lot of fault in that logic, but I do think they could c- convince themselves of that. Um, to me, 
the iron is hot right now. Strike. Mm-hmm. You've got, like DJ said, there's no money trouble yet. They're, they're, you know, before you get around to spending the big money, money might just creep onto your books over these next couple of years in the form of HAP extension, Horner extension. Or you can choose to plunge that money into guys you know are really, really good, like better than those two, like five or six win players, like potentially Kodai Senga, like uh, Correa, like, you know, Jose is not that caliber of player, but he's a great (laughs) fit. Yeah, I mean, Otani, Sean Murphy. There are big trade acquisitions you can make. There are big free agents you can sign who might create a little bit of money issues for you down the road. But this year, you get to seize all the excess value of them not yet costing you because you're not you're not going to crack the luxury tax this year. You need to get fans back in the ballpark anyway. And there are some guys on this team who are just coming into bloom in terms of their talent. Justin Steele. Uh, Nico Horner, Hayden Wisniewski, guys we've talked about, uh, hopefully, and I really do believe in this one, Seiya Suzuki is going to take a big step forward next year. And if you start to look at it that way, then they're not going to dominate the league next year. They're not going to suddenly be the Dodgers or the Astros, but they can make a big stride back into contention. And that can be the platform from which you do step up to being the Dodger or the, or Dodgers or the Astros instead of Next year, you're the Brewers, and the year after that, you're aiming to be the Cardinals. I don't think that's how the Cubs should be thinking or can afford to think because the Brewers and Cardinals have a bunch of built-in advantages under the collective bargaining agreement as it exists and as it's going to exist for the foreseeable future. So it could, could it be done to uh, build a good team, maybe even a near-great team, without Correa? I mean, do, can you do Nico at second and Swansby or whatever his name was? And whatever it is. It's Swansby now. It's, Swan, it's, gonna be <laughs> it's Swansby. definitely Swansby now. Yeah. I mean, and then you find some, you know, mid-level, high mid-level uh, center fielder. And, you know, you get a – I mean, can it? Can that be done? Can you bring in people that are not – don't spend all of your money on Correa. Spend uh, Correa money on four people. Yeah, but don't, but don't, don't do that. <laughs> Sign Carlos Correa. Yeah, but is that is that the sound business decision, the sound baseball decision, or the sound Matthew Trueblood decision? I, I don't care about the first one, and I believe the last two are the same. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I just, I just think you're 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 becoming a good team then, and don't we want to build a great team? So, yeah. why why spread that money around just to? maybe bring more fans in. I guess a kind of quick question for Tom, correct me if I'm wrong here, but your personal attendance this year was, was pretty low compared to recent years, right? Yeah. And you know, I often would go to Wrigleyville and, but I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd go 20 miles. It's 20 miles from my home as the crow flies, but I couldn't make that last hundred yards. I would sit outside in the ballpark and watch it on the big screen and save, you know, the whatever price du jour was. So, Plus, yeah, my, my attendance was down. And you were usually just demonstratively yelling, I'm not paying you rickets anything, right? <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's what you would say, but I was thinking it, definitely. 
you're outside the uh, the thirty dollar bag check building actually balking. Well, okay, balking. so that had something to do with it too, but still. <laughs> yeah. I, that's right. just proof right there, though. I mean, Tom was Tom was never going to pass up a, oh, you know, it's a nice day. I'll buzz up on the train and, you know, something got lost this year. Yeah, it really did. It did. I went so many times in 2021 and this past summer, uh, like I say, I, I didn't go up to Wrigleyville as often, but usually when I did, I would just save the money and sit outside and talk to people and watch it on the big screen that they have installed out there. And, you know, you get a better team on the field. It, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So, so were you, were you pissed at the Cubs? Like I was after 2007 and eight. No one was as pissed as you were back then. <laughs> the, the despondency was palpable from blocks away. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. I think the first time I saw you was you and Matt at the Billy goat, like it, probably around this time of year, maybe it was November ish. It was, it was cold out and, yeah, you weren't having any of it. You, yeah. <laughs> you, were, yeah. you, you were down. You were feeling it. We were all feeling it. Yeah, it was it was depressing. And it hasn't been like that. I don't know if I've mentioned this on a podcast yet, but um, I've had this thing since 2016 that uh, when the Cubs suck, it doesn't hurt as bad as it used to. Um, you know, when it, before they won the World Series, uh, you know, they'd have you know, years and years of men were terrible. And as a Cub fan, you felt that physically almost. Uh, but then they won the World Series and, you know, you know, three, four years later, they stink again. Um, it didn't hurt. It doesn't hurt yet. Maybe that's just the yet is the, the key to that. Those were special years. Uh, I'm glad we recognized it at the time. We talked about it. We said, this is a special time, you know, 2014 and then we're getting into 2015 and you just knew it was going to happen. Maybe yeah. not win the world series. Cause that's kind of a crap shoot, especially these days. I remember the- Matt saying what a, a big surprise it was that they, they won in 2016 uh, that, it, you know, it, he and others were thinking that it would probably be the next year that they actually could break through. I think the lesson in baseball the last decade is it's later than you think, you know, it's uh, players mature faster. They get bad faster sooner, I should say. And yeah, I mean, look at the, look at the teams that make the world series. Now they, a lot of them, it's like, wow, they're here already. And they're probably thinking, yeah, this is going to be like this the next two, three, four years. Eh, Maybe, maybe not, you know? So it, it, I, I, boy, I'm glad we did that in 2016. Just for that yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, being, I was uh, expecting a, a dynasty from that and it didn't uh, materialize. And maybe those don't materialize at all anymore. Although the Astros have been there a number of times over the last, what, five, six years. Uh, so it seems like it can be done. It's just not being done by the Cubs. No. And as it, <laughs> as it has always been, frustrating because the Cubs have a market that should be, they should be able to do whatever they want to. I yeah. mean, they, they, they should be able to, they should have the revenue and the wherewithal to, to create a perennial 
a perennial winner, really, even even just a perennial decent team. But um, on a regular basis, they should be winning the division and going to the World Series, and they uh, they don't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, Milwaukee and St. Louis. This is, I mean, you you could combine those areas, and they're not as big as Chicago. And and yeah, we have the revenue, we just don't have the wherewithal. See cheap ownership above. And the yeah, I, I could not been, possibly agree more. It's <laughs> been driving me nuts because look, I I don't need uh, a pennant every five years to be happy, but they should be consistently winning the division, like a lot. And I've been meditating on the fact that it's really a very simple challenge laid out for them in the rules. Unlike even the Dodgers who, you know, have now the big spending Padres, but before it was enough to just have the giants also in their division. Unlike the Yankees who have to deal with the Red Sox or the Mets who have to deal with the Phillies and Atlanta. You're in this division, all four of the other teams in your division get an extra draft pick every year just for existing and being a poor, lowly, small market. Every other team in your division is is being given rules-based advantages because they're small and you're big. So the rules are just screaming at you, you're big. You have to act big. And if <laughs> yeah, you do, right. then you will win your share and maybe even more. Because they can't spend to keep up with you. They can't do it. The Cardinals could. I mean, every team could if they just got a rich owner who felt like it. But the Cardinals really could on a revenue level. But they never will. They never have and they never will spend up to and beyond the luxury tax. If the Cubs would just do that every year the way the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Mets now do and have, they would win the division six times a decade and and contend for two of the other four and i'd be thrilled with it but they have refused to do that they think for some reason that they have to that they have to win the same way that the cardinals win and that's look by all means be homegrown be great at drafting and developing the dodgers definitely that no one's saying you can't do that while also spending a ton of money but you got to spend a ton of money because if you don't, the rules are going to beat you back. Where is that line, Matt? Who is on our side of the line? How many teams that they get one less draft pick? Well, it's not one. So the big markets aren't penalized. The small markets are advantaged, but it's, it's depends on how you look at it. I think it's 15 teams that get an extra draft pick. Um, I mean, it's it's most of each central division. Yeah, it's all it's all eight teams in the central except for the two Chicago's. Uh, it is Colorado and Arizona. It is Miami and Tampa and Baltimore. Anyway, it's most of the teams that you'd think. They get an extra draft pick every year, sometimes after the first round, sometimes after the second. They also, uh, when they sign a qualifying offer free agent, they don't have to give up as good a draft pick. They don't have to give up as much uh, signing bonus money for uh, Latin America. They're all, they, these are small advantages, but they add up. And it's basically half the league has that advantage over the other half. 
And the Cubs are one of two teams, along with the White Sox, who are playing in the division where they're the only one on their side of that line. So it's real clear what you need to do. And thank goodness the Cubs have done it more often than the White Sox have over the years, uh, where they, they have actually spent what the rules are challenging them to spend. But they've got to do it more consistently. They've got to do it just the way the Dodgers do it. So, mm-hmm. preach, man. Yeah. Well, we can preach, but then we need somebody to actually listen. They don't have to listen to us. They don't have to listen to us. I don't. You don't. You, know. you don't think the Rickets are any of our thirty listeners? Huh? No. No. I don't ah, think bummer. And actually, you know, I'd rather uh, Judd. What's his name? Jed. Whatever. Uh, Judd now. works on a lot of movies too so hopefully he's listening uh but he doesn't have to listen to us so he can he can he can listen to us and then take credit for the the uh, thoughts that's fine that's fine just do it do something absolutely matt time it's time for the random cub of the week. I think so. Oh, thank goodness. I love this one. All right. Uh-oh. Brought to you by. <laughs> yeah, where's it? Who is our sponsor this week? I forget. <laughs> uh, Swansby Industries. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, our random cub of the week is someone I who has a special place in my heart, and so I don't know that Carlos Correa. <laughs> it doesn't count yet does it i mean this is, this is a breaking news podcast <laughs> uh he was a cub from 1999 to 2002 that's when he was a cub at the major league level they drafted him in the minor league phase of the rule five draft after 1997 from the marlins uh he was a left-handed hitting outfielder in those four seasons, parts of four seasons, adding up to about 500 plate appearances, he hit 250, 311, 407, uh, which is worse than it sounds as we're thinking about it with our 2022 brains. Back then, that was a below average overall line, but he showed decent promise over the years. Um, they gave him kind of a little more than a cup of coffee just that big slurp of coffee that you kind of choke on in 99, 2000, and 2001. Then they finally gave him a longish look in 2002, and he was real bad, and they gave up on him. Hmm. Uh, he was cousins with Ellis Burks. They are both from Vicksburg, Mississippi. And I must have gotten his autograph four or five times in one weekend at Cubs convention in like 2002, <laughs> he was one of those guys. And they're back then, at least I'm sure it's not this way anymore. We haven't been back in a long time, but back then there were, there would be a guy or two every year where it was almost like he was lurking around corners, trying to spring his autograph. on. <laughs> if you just didn't run away fast enough, you were going to get something signed. This was one of those guys. One, uh, that first year that we went, uh, lefty outfielder, lefty outfielder, oh two, yep, center field, left field. See, I've been through um, 
uh, when until you said Ellis Burks, I was on Luis Gonzalez and then Henry Rodriguez, and I might be in. The, I'm off. I'm probably off on years. Um, and then Randall Simon. That's not correct, right? Um, no. Yeah. How about uh, Rondell White? Nope, right-handed. Look. We don't have time to talk about how much I loved Rondell White, but Rondell White was, <laughs> was much better than this player. Huh. Uh, he Lefty. barely played, though. You're saying how many at-bats did he have in four seasons? 500. Okay, so he was not playing. He's like a fifth outfielder. Also, yeah, he, he, was, he was a guy? He had a little speed. He had a little pop. Uh, he was – so I'll – give you one hint it's not Corey patterson but he was built kind of like Corey patterson short eric patterson (laughs) (laughs) no eric patterson was not built anything like Corey patterson (laughs) and Corey was stacked this guy was built like Corey. he was like 511 but 200 pounds of you know solidness you could tell he was ellis burke's cousin that was i can't remember for sure that people were excited about him for that reason, but hmm. lefty outfielder shared a surname with another lefty outfielder who played for the Cubs at almost the exact same time, uh, who whose tenure ended unfortunately. Struggling with year two thousand. Glenn Allen Hill. We got Rondell White. We got Rady's. Both Rady's. Oh, um, we're gonna need a hint. Would it? I mean, is he white? No. He sounds African. You don't really remember Ellis Burks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Here's a hint. The guy he shares the surname with was the guy who dropped that fly ball in Milwaukee that broke poor Ron Santos' heart. Oh. Oh. Um, uh, it's Mr. Uh, Brown. Yes, it's it's Brant Brown. Brant Brown is the one who dropped the ball. It's Roosevelt Brown. It's Roosevelt Brown. I he, I would have swore he oh, was right wow. here. Roosevelt Brown. I loved Dad. I loved that you not only uh, got that, which makes you just the dominant leader in this game so far. Oh, uh, wow, that's good. But also. Your first reaction was, I would have sworn he was right-handed. Even <laughs> I was not 100% sure which <laughs> he batted with. But you had him in your head. Yeah. You had him as a righty. I yeah, don't remember fact, him. Dude, wow. I've never heard of that guy. He was he was a buff dude, right? I mean, he yeah. he may not have been Glenn Allen Hill, but he was, he was a rock. Like I said, built like – so Corey Patterson was 5'9". And, you know, like most of it, 5'9", 190 pounds, and most of it was his biceps. Uh, Roosevelt Brown was 5'11", and there was a little more, you know, heft to like his lower half. He was built maybe a little more like Ricky Henderson kind of thing. Mm. But, yeah, it it didn't work out. But also, the Cubs were so bad back then at, at managing guys and giving them a legitimate shot at the right time. Like... I'm not saying that 
you know, they, they buried a hall of famer or anything, but Brown was putting up. So they, they take him in the minor league rule five draft, which is a heck of a way to acquire a player from the Marlins after 97, when the Marlins were still a pretty flush, you know, organization, they just won the world series. They bring him in and he just put up crazy numbers in the top end of their farm system for three, four, four and a half years. And they would only call him up for these short stints. And in those short stints in 2000, 2001, he had really good numbers, but they give him fewer than a hundred plate appearances. It was mostly in September. And then the next year it was back to Iowa with you, young man. Hmm. Uh, and by the time they actually gave him a shot, he was 27 maybe, and it didn't work out. But I'm a believer that sometimes you miss the the kind of like rising tide of a guy's development. Yeah, you, you miss the window. Give him a shot at the right time. And the Cubs used to be so, so bad at that because they'd be parceling out those those opportunities to a whole bunch of dudes who, like there was going to be one or two good players in there, but they were never going to successfully find them. They were going to trade him, whoever he was, as they were shuffling through a whole bunch of options like Brent Brown and Brooks Kieschnick and Cole Liniak and, you know, the list is endless. So, Brooks Kieschnick. We could do a whole podcast on that, dude. I almost made him the random cub, but then I was like, I yeah, anyway, I didn't. Another <laughs> Did Ben Brown getting added to the Rule Five put you down the rabbit hole? No, DJ, I don't. I don't need any prompting to go down a Roosevelt Brown rabbit hole. <laughs> in my mind, in my mind, there is always a game going on where he's in left field and Reggie Smith's in right field and Corey <laughs> Patterson's playing center and Manny Trio's at second and uh, yeah, David Kelton. David Kelton worked out and he's at third base and he's a star. <laughs> he worked out. He worked out. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't know you, I didn't know you were a Corey Patterson fan. How have I missed uh, that all these years? Huge. I mean, he was, there was no way to experience the Corey Patterson era and not end up frustrated on some level. But I was a, a fervent defender until he totally derailed no five. And then, the, you know, a fresh start was non-negotiable. Uh and I even loved following the second act of his career where he became like everybody's fourth and fifth outfielder, but he would like, he'd steal 20 bases without being caught and he'd play terrific defense, but he just, you couldn't play him very often and he'd have to bat ninth and you know, that kind of thing. He had that monster first half in like, was it Oh three? Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's dad's fault on dad's birthday in 2003. He tore his ACL and, uh, stepping on first base wrong wow thanks todd yeah, yeah. i didn't I, I don't think that was really me i, I used to blame uh, pearl harbor on my dad because they were happened in the same year he was born in 41 uh, now Both i feel these, his pain seem equally fair yeah uh, <laughs> equally dramatic god the real the real heartbreak of that was in 03 that team first of all they really needed Corey's great start because Sosa had a terrible start and then the cork bat suspension and just this cloud over oh, right? yeah. And uh, then Corey was filling that gap. But what they really needed, and you knew it really early, was their bullpen was terrible. 
and it needed to be fixed. And when Corey went down, instead of addressing the bullpen at the deadline, Hendry had to go trade for Kenny Lofton. Uh, and I'm not saying it cost him so much that he couldn't have still upgraded the bullpen, but he didn't. And so then it gets to the NLCS and Dusty has no one he can trust out there. Mark Guthrie's already destroyed one game for him and it's game six and he's just going to pitch Mark Pryor until his arm falls off and then his arm fell off. So hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's dad's fault. Yep. The Cubs didn't win the 2003 pennant because Corey Patterson tore his ACL. Yep. No, it had nothing to do with the Cubs and their management of, of, Everything. And certainly not with Dusty Baker. He's a just because it was... <laughs> <laughs> he is the untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's all. That's more than I intended to to share. But uh, Tom, you had something for us too, no? Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, one of my all-time favorite players. I guess this goes into, we're really wrapping up here now. I don't know. Do we want to go around the horn and, and get some uh, tax advice and some uh, tree advice or uh sure yeah yeah go for I it DJ. So. hit us text man okay i'll go first um mine will be short and sweet here even though it is not a short and sweet uh simple tax method um in theory it is but we'll we'll just wrap it up here quick um if you are a crypto person uh you probably have not had a great year uh so there have been there have been some Maybe you've harvested some of those and uh, kind of given up on some of those stocks. The issue with that is you can actually only deduct up to three thousand dollars in in capital losses a year. Uh, so forward, if you have other brokerage accounts with uh, stocks that have appreciated gains, you plan on getting rid of at some point, might make sense to start, uh, you know, harvesting some of those gains now when you with the large crypto losses rather than carrying them forward forever. So yeah. There wasn't there the guy who lost 40 billion or something? Uh, was that week or last week, week before in some sort of uh, crypto, I thought the whole cryptocurrency thing, I thought it was impervious to theft, uh, <laughs> it impervious be, yeah. to government control. You know? Yeah. But okay. They're still working on it, I guess. All One right, so get days. get those capital losses in there, or take those gains. You bet. So you, can, so you can use up those losses. Okay. Okay. So what is crypto? Anyway, it's a whole different episode. Uh, so mine is short and sweet as well. In that, uh, we we live most of us, all of us live in the mid upper Midwest, and uh, it's getting cold. Um, and a good thing to do for perennial gardens is to chant. Hopefully you listened to a previous, uh, uh, true blood tip, of mulching, uh, in this time of year, it's not a bad idea to take evergreen boughs, basically cut limbs from evergreens, or you can buy these, uh, and they're usually leftovers from prunings of, uh, Christmas trees, um, but you can buy evergreen boughs and then layer that on top of the area that is filled with perennial uh, flowers. Uh, and it, it, it helps to uh, keep that area consistently at a consistent temperature 
uh, through the winter. So the, the soil temperature doesn't go way up or way down and bounce from way up to way down. It stays fairly consistent. If it's going to freeze deep, then this helps it stay frozen. Uh, if it's going to be moderately warm, it helps it to maintain that versus, versus uh, getting another deep freeze on top of it. So uh, use evergreen boughs to protect and warm your perennial flowers through the winter. It was perennial. Mm-hmm. Todd, I have a feeling that when you come to my house and you look out in the yard, you're just appalled. <laughs> uh, you don't say anything, but you're just going, oh my gosh, what I could do here. <laughs> I I'm, I'm gave up on being appalled uh, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think your place is bad at all. Okay. It's, it's just, you know, it's not probably what I would do, but um, <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> it's, it's just, that's, it's, that's always the case. I mean, every place I go, it's, well, this isn't what I would do, but it's your house. I'd have you down here and completely redo the yard if I could afford you. So <laughs> <laughs> every hey, time, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm free to you, Tom. So, oh, okay. Ooh, all right. All right. I mean, I'm not doing any physical labor, <laughs> but you'll get free advice just oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, Todd, I don't think there is any crypto in Tom's uh, yard. <laughs> well, <laughs> if it is, it's probably an invasive species. So we'll <laughs> get that out of there. Money's an invasive species around here. So, yeah. uh, uh, well, I wanted to mention one of my favorite all-time players, and that is Babe Ruth. You might have heard of him. Mm. So unloved and unwanted as a child, he was sent away as a young boy, raised in a, I guess what they called a reformatory, right? Mm -hmm. Where he learned to play baseball. So, you know, when he became an adult, he wasn't exactly fully developed as a person. He was childish and impulsive and rude and crude and all that. But, you know, all the Babe Ruth, you know, books you read and the stories, I don't think he was ever really mean or petty. You know, I, I think he was a, just a genuinely nice person who did not have the amount of bitterness that you would expect for someone who had such a a rough childhood so i just i like the guy uh, i love him for his stats too so let's get to the statistics the thing that's interesting about ruth is no matter how you measure statistics because statistics change how we how we rate them how they're interpreted in various eras he always keeps up with the current metrics so Sometime in the 80s, we all started saying, hey, these walks are actually worth something. And, you know, Ruth was the walk king. Um, later on, there were things like, you know, ops and then war and then ops plus. OK, let's compare players by how well they did against their peers. Right. And Ruth always seems to come out on top. And even when you look at Otani with the pitching and hitting feats, I mean, the guy is amazing. Again, it. Ruth is part of that conversation because he was a great pitcher and he might have even gone to the Hall of Fame as a pitcher. Hmm. But if we look at the year 1920, which is his first true breakout breakout season, he hit 54 home runs, revolutionized the game. He had an ops plus of 255 and in second place was George Sisler, who had a great year, but his was 182. So his ops plus was <laughs> over 70 points greater. 
Um, his ops was 1329. George Sisters was 1082. So I thought, okay, let's remove his biggest weapon. Let's say Commissioner Landis, who was kind of a throwback, said, if you hit the ball over the fence, it's, it's not even a ground rule double. It's a ground rule single. So you take away all of Ruth's home runs from that year. Doesn't change his batting average or his on-base percentage, but his slugging percentage falls precipitously. And he is still the best player of <laughs> that year, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And one of the reasons uh, he hit 378, he hit a lot of doubles and triples, but he had 53 more walks than the runner-up. He had 150 that year, and the runner-up had 97. So I think that's what makes him extraordinarily special. He's, no matter how we interpret statistics, he's always there. In my mind, there's Ruth, Williams, and Bonds. These three hit for average. They hit a lot of home runs, and they took a lot of walks. And those things should always be popular. Timeless. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Incredible. I love that. He's pretty good, huh? <laughs> he was all right. And, you know, Matt, you, you mentioned Ricky Henderson. We could do a whole podcast on Ricky Henderson. I was thinking about Henderson. He's another one. If you took away his his speed, if you took away not his speed, but he can't steal bases anymore. He would still be a great player. Oh, he yeah. would he would he would walk like crazy. He would. I think he had a, I think he had a season where he hit almost 30. I think he might have topped out at 29 home runs. He would have hit more home runs and he would have been an all-star and possibly a hall of famer. I mean, is that, is that true greatness where you take away your biggest weapon and you find a way? Yeah, no, I, there's a, the book that got me into baseball stats that led me down a wayward path was uh, baseball between the numbers by the, baseball prospectus team of that time it was like 2006 or so there was a chapter entitled what if ricky henderson had pete and cavillia's legs and <laughs> that was basically what they said was that you know he could have been a fat slow guy who couldn't really play the outfield and <laughs> he'd still have been a borderline hall of famer because he had just an incredible batting eye and hit for average and yeah uh, but yeah it's it's something special when you do remove the single thing that a great player did best and realize there's still a an extraordinarily good player left there for you mm. you might have some trouble coming your way boy because um greg Luzinski probably won't be ever be able to find me and and even if he does i don't know that he could kick my ass but I'm thinking in Cavillo, he could probably kick yours. Yeah, I mean, he's got to catch me before heart disease catches him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think with that, we can wrap up episode five of This Is Not a Rebuild. Uh, I should start doing this housekeeping part at the front end of the show. Note for next time. But you can follow us on Twitter at Not a Rebuild. You can check us out at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and we will probably not be back next week because of the holiday, but we'll, if that changes, then we'll pop up in your feed. And in the meantime, uh, everyone be safe, 
enjoy Thanksgiving. And hopefully when we talk to you next, the Cubs have signed someone of consequence. Sounds good. Correa. There you guys. All right. Correa. Take care, boys. Bye, all. See ya. Bye, yeah. See ya.